The Dad presents Episode 15 Zoltan Istvan. It all starts right now. People think it's okay to die. It's it's not okay, and we do have the tools to overcome death. Hello and welcome to The Dad Presents, episode 15, bringing you parenting advice at its finest and other stuff on this show. I'm going to mix it up a little bit today. But of course, before we get into that, I'm of course joined by and with Jay Maddy. What's up, fellas? And Dog is back. Your dog was popping. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we'll get into it. We got a very special guest that we'll bring on later in the show. Um, Maddie, introduce, because we kind of flubbed the introduction earlier, but go ahead and uh, tell us we about We got him. Zoltan Istvan. He uh, is the leader of the Transhumanist Party. He's a fascinating individual. He ran for president in mm-hmm. 2016. He ran for California governor in 2018. He wrote a novel which rocked the world called called The Transhumanist Wager. You can get it for free on Amazon now. It was a bestseller. Uh, I'm I'm just super excited to talk to this guy. Yeah. Big fan. No, you guys will be thrilled. Um, we'll you know do our usual checks with everybody. Uh, last week, Doggy gave us his story of Vegas and Sapphire and everything in between involving oh, girl. his relationship <laughs> and his. He he was supposed to come be allowed back in the house. What was it? Wednesday. I got back in. Got back in Wednesday. Man. You you want to give us an update on that, Dougie? Well, for now I'm back in, so you know, <laughs> never know, man. I could pull up tonight and the locks could be changed. But hey, you know, it is what it is. It is. So I'm I'm in the house. You know, in my house, I got locked out of my house. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's a mystery in itself. <laughs> but uh, I'm good, you guys. So. Dog is back. Dog is faded. Dog is having a good time, and I'm fucking with Jay, Maddie, and B. Right on. And we're glad to have you, Doggy. Thank you. Unscathed. Uh, we had an interesting trip to the comedy club <laughs> this past week where... Oh. Yeah. We yeah. ordering Don P, baby. Yeah. And the Don P got it kicked out of the comedy club. It actually. did? Well, yeah, and it was because of you, but... Then we went to Pink's. We went to Pink's and ate some hot dogs. So it was a good night all in all. But but we were popping champagne. Always an event when Doggy's in the house. Jay Maddie, did you get some champagne? I got some champagne. Did damn right. <laughs> damn right. We, y'all want champagne now? No, I think okay. we're good right now. All right, me too. <laughs> so, Jay Maddie, you have anything you want to weigh in on before we get to <laughs> No, nah, I'm all set. Just ready to talk to Zoltan. <laughs> all right. All right, so uh, Zoltan, you know, you're the... Leader of the Transhumanism Party. Um, not everybody's going to know what that is. I've read a lot about it. I'm really into it. Could you just give us like a dummy's version of, of what this party stands for and what it's all about? Mm-hmm. 
Well, absolutely. You know, I'm a founder, first off, no longer the chairman of the party. But of course, I, I do a lot of advocating for uh, the, the political aspect of transhumanism, as well as the party itself. And um, really, you know, Transhumanist Party is a kind of the first political party of its kind dedicated to science and technology, and especially to kind of radical medicine for people. We want to put um, technology and science at the forefront of American politics. That's really the goal of the party. Right. Awesome. That's exciting. That's exciting stuff. Um, I, I read that art, and I read your articles, your Bill of Rights, all that kind of stuff. And I read Article Six of the Transhumanist Bill of Rights states that we should treat aging as a disease. Which to me, that sounds logical, right? I work in healthcare. That seems logical to me. Mm-hmm. However, um, you know, I would think. How do you normalize an idea like that? Because I think most people would hear that and they would they would not agree with that. But you know, if you if you look if you look at history and you look at something like the airplane, if you would have told people a hundred years ago that in a few short years they'd be flying from country to country in giant metal tubes, they'd think you're crazy. But now that's been normalized. So how can you like normalize an idea of death is just a disease process that can be fixed? Well, you know, first off, if I had the answer to that, I would be a gazillionaire because really the amount of funding that has gone into life extension science and trying to overcome death at this point is now in the multi-billions. And that has been the central problem really is the messaging of what it means to take out kind of the most <laughs> what most expected part of life, which is that you die in a society or in a, in a civilization with almost 8 billion people. And, you know, what we've come to a lot of the leaders, a lot of the kind of most vocal people in the movement is really saying, well, if we can get people to think of, you know, aging as they would in terms of cancer or in terms of Alzheimer's or in terms of other types of things that really hinder them and bother them, then we can get them to not only, A, be on board and want to put the resources and time and energy into fixing this problem, but really get the government on board. Because what happens is, Unless you declare something, uh, you know, unless you declare something as a disease, the government simply doesn't fund it. And the the, the amount of money that the United States government right now is pouring into life extension science is is a is a tiny, tiny, tiny amount compared to, let's say, cancer or Alzheimer's or diabetes. But once we get aging declared as a disease, my God, you know, we're talking about billions of dollars flowing in immediately, whereas right now we have literally millions. So all the money fighting um, the you know for the anti-aging movement is really coming from private donors. So getting that message, convincing a government. But the problem is the government is largely religious and virtually 100 percent of all 535 members of Congress believe in an afterlife. So they're not really going to say, oh, we think aging is a disease. Let's put money into that. So it's it's a hard messaging environment in, in a very what we you know could say religious uh, kind of country. My, my next question was religion, right? So I, I grew up in a very religious family. I kind of lost my religion in my 20s. Um, the biggest, the, the hardest thing when I lost my religion was coming up, was my new idea for what happens now after death and what is life is all about? Because that's essentially the question that religion answers for you. What happens after death? What's the purpose of your life? So that question now is unanswered for me. Do you, does the transhumanism party offer an answer to that question? Number one. And number two, um, I'm sure you get a lot of pushback from the religious community. Um, a lot of people would, would think that some of this is blasphemous. How do you deal with that? Well, there's no question that this is blasphemy. And I've said this again and again, that, you know, blasphemy, according to the Bible is the only sin that's not forgivable. And, um, 
you know, and blasphemy essentially means you're trying to become godlike. Well, what's the most godlike thing you can think of? Well, live not forever. dying. <laughs> and so, yeah, this is the central issue. When I do my political campaigns and I go to places that are very religious, it's it's amazing because they always accuse me of either being the, the Antichrist or working for the Antichrist or doing blasphemous deeds. And unfortunately, what we're really trying to do is just make it so that you don't have to bury a loved one. You don't have to lose a child to leukemia. You don't ever have to say goodbye to your mom and dad for the very last time as they die from old age. The life extension movement and transhumanism movement is really the, the most humanitarian movement I think that's out there because the most important thing we're trying to do is get it so that we don't lose um, our loved ones. We don't ever have to say goodbye to our kids because they die from leukemia or we ever have to say goodbye to our parents mm -hmm. because somehow they die, you know, or from old age. What we're really trying to do with the life extension movement is just we love life. We want to stay here. We want to stay here with the people we love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, exciting stuff. I've read about it in the last couple of days, trying to catch up to be smart enough to ask you something. Um, but exciting stuff talking about living longer living forever living you know what everyone you know is dreamed of i'm sure what about you know everybody's got an uh, an in-law who probably should go early like you you want them to go earlier you don't want them to be here what about those people who you don't want them to be around that long <laughs> well i i think you know ultimately in the same sense that we probably would want to have you know maybe some <laughs> some really bad people in jail that are not in jail sure you know Ultimately speaking, that's just a part of life. Life's never going to be perfect, and maybe that's for the best. But the reality of the story is that the most important thing we don't want to do is have our life cut early, mm -hmm. cut out early, and lose the people that we love and lose the, the opportunity that we have. And part of the entire, I guess, saga of life is really dealing with some of the ups and downs. That might mean people um, – you know, that we don't want to live on. I get this question all the time about Hitler. You know, oh, my God, you're trying to promote a philosophy that would get somebody like Hitler to live forever. Oh, wow. And the answer is, it's not that I'm trying to get Hitler to live forever. Of course not. Mm -hmm. But what I want to do is take the specter of death out of humanity, out of the equation of our species. And then we can deal with justice in other means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, let, let's say this ultimate goal is achieved and we, and we can cheat death and we can, you know, we can at least defeat old age. That That's miraculous. It would be amazing. I don't know how anybody could not be excited about that sure. prospect. And it does seem that it, it is something that we could eventually get to. Mm -hmm. But what do you do? I mean, we already have an over, overpopulation problem on earth. Mm -hmm. What do you do when, when people stop dying? Do you force sterilization? What do you do about feeding all these people? I mean, have any of these, I'm sure you've thought of these problems have, solutions been worked out or is anything in the works? Well, absolutely. You know, so I think the very first thing is first off, just so your listeners know, there's no question we're going to defeat aging and there's no question we're going to become immortal as a species in terms of every individual consciousness can exist. Whether it happens in the next 15 years or 50 years, that's the big question. And just so you know, if we can, and most scientists would say because of genetic editing, stem cell technologies, all different types of, uh, you know, uploading our consciousness, because of all these different methods, most people would say within 15 to 25 years, we will start achieving the overcoming of death. Um, some of the naysayers will say it'll take longer, and that's fine. But just so your readers, your listeners know, if we can solve the issue of dying by 2030 versus 2050, we will save 1 billion lives. And again, this is why it's the most humanitarian movement that's ever really been is, uh, is, is you know, we're actually trying to save lives here. 
But the bigger question and the number one question I always get is really the environmental impact is what about the overpopulation? And of course, you know, I agree the planet probably is overpopulated. Does that mean, though, that the planet can't have twice as many people? And the answer is no, it doesn't actually. If we distributed resources better or nicer to people, you know, maybe more democracy, maybe more, uh, you know, a a better sense of spreading the wealth around, we could do a lot better job of having all these people live on planet Earth. But that's not the real answer that I usually give. The real answer that everybody has to consider is the history of the microprocessor. The history of the microprocessor says essentially every 18 months or 24 months, the thing is doubling in size and capacity, and science is getting incredibly crazy. Take that out 10, 20, 30 years, there's a very little chance that those that remain immortal are going to be biologically immortal. It's probably going to be as because you've uploaded your mind to a machine and you're integrated with AI or other things like that, or you have robotic parts all around you and your, your brain is con- constantly jacked in. The reality is it's much more matrix style. That's how immortality will probably be achieved, and that's really the future of the human species. So with that said, we don't need as many resources because we're going to become much or more machine-like. It's going yeah. to be a different mm-hmm. a different game entirely. Okay, yeah. so twice twice you you've now mentioned uploading your your consciousness to like a a computer, right? Um, along the lines with kind of the stuff Ray Kurzweil talks about the the singularity. Just a philosophical <clears throat> question, because you're talking about being immortal. If I the way I understand it, if I upload my consciousness into a computer, if I do it as I'm standing here, as I'm living, well, I'm still alive. I'm still me. Whatever is in that computer, that's something else. It might be all of my memories and all of my thoughts and everything, but but that's not me. Like we can't truly um, exist in that spot unless we define what the soul is or not the soul. What what consciousness is and are able to transport consciousness from one place to another. Well, l- let me ask you a question. This morning when you woke up, how do you know that the person that went to sleep is still the exact same person mm-hmm. now? Let me ask that question to this person inside the machine that we've just uploaded that is 100% identical, right. and let's see what the answers are. Yeah, they wouldn't well, know. That person wouldn't know. Yeah, the, per, the, 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 the answers are going to be identical. Right. They're going to be like, oh, well, I just woke up, and of course it's me. And so right, I don't but that, know. But wouldn't that nobody computer has, have yeah, a separate consciousness a, from myself? Because you're getting well, answers from that and me, right? Well, the, the real the real question at hand is, can we ever know the answer to that? It's kind of like, can we ever know whether God exists? And the answer is probably not. We're going to have to remain agnostic about this. But I personally would be very happy to know that the person that I am now exists somewhere else as an exact replica. And I would say to myself, hey, that's me. I mean, it's certainly better than, let's say, the genetic makeup that I give to my children, which is only 50% me and then ends up because of an environment totally different. Immortality would be great if we could always remain our conscious selves, but the reality is that may not be the case unless we use different types of biological mechanisms and stem cells, genetic editing technologies to continually, you know, replenish ourselves and things like that. But even that, like That's to remain too. biological is to remain very confined, to remain very frail. The beauty of life is the idea that we get to merge ourselves, our consciousness, with other types of consciousnesses out there that might be dramatically, maybe a million times smarter than us. So I don't even, you know, for me, dying would probably actually remain a biological human being for billions of years when I could have become something else through AI and things like that. I mean, that's another strange way of looking at it. But I I don't mind personally saying 
even if that AI that's perfectly Zoltan is not Zoltan, I still feel very happy knowing that it's me. Got it. Yeah, that's an honest answer. And uh, I'm not I'm not trying to be a contrarian. I'm I'm on board with this. I'm just mm-hmm. these are some things I've thought about in in exploring, you know, the things you've been talking about. Yeah. I'll, well, I'll, in, the, in, the, mm-hmm. in the short answer, just so you know, is that we can't know if it's ourselves or not ourselves. But one thing we know is we're going to just that entity out there will justify it to the ends of the earth, just like we woke up this morning and we justify to ourselves that it's me who went to sleep last night. Mm-hmm. But the reality is you if you know. go to any you know any philosophy department and try to explain the difference between ourselves and a brain in a vat and ourselves talking to you right now in this podcast, you can't do so. Right. The best philosophers mm-hmm. in the world have never been able to prove that. We, we you know we, we we frankly we can't prove a ton of things. We can't prove that we're not living in a simulated universe. We can't prove that, you know, once we die, there's not an after. There's so many things we can't prove right now. So we're kind of left in this land where we just Mm -hmm. hope for the best and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, take our statistical probabilities as they come. Yeah, sometimes best to remain agnostic in in many regards. Yeah, and I'm going to play Johnny Skeptic here for a minute. So, and, you know, you live long enough, you go through these things where you said, you know, maybe 30 years ago, someone was walking around saying, we're going to have jetpacks in 15 years. And you just said, you know, immortality is not that far away, maybe on the road in the next 15, 25 years. Why should I expect, why should I believe that if, if you can give me, you know, Cliff Notes version of why? Well, you know, I, I think when we ask ourselves about flying cars and jetpacks, the reality of the story is that the reasons that those things were not developed and the reason they probably are not here, actually they are here now, of course, mm-hmm. is because from a financial point of view, they just didn't make sense. But the good news is, the life extension movement actually has a huge amount of financial incentives to make it work. And I've seen like thousands and thousand percent increases in just the last few years in the science and the in the kind of investments going into it. And that's one reason why I know that all of a sudden it's like we're going to get there much quicker than probably had been before. But I think the reality of the story, just to answer your question a bit more specifically, mm-hmm. is, is that there are so many brand new technologies. Technologies on the horizon, like for example, years ago we thought communicating just through our interface Wait, was an if, absolute sci-fi concept, and now we do it. And you know, we thought this idea of genetic editing didn't even exist. I think really three years ago, in, in terms of how we know it, and now we have dogs with like super muscular legs. And in China, they're starting to already operate on human beings that are being born and having embryonic changes. You know, genetic yeah. changes. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're coming to an age when science is accelerating so quickly again. As I mentioned before, based on the history of the microprocessor, the human brain has doubled in capacity over the last half million years. Mm -hmm. The microprocessor has, I don't know, I mean, every 18 months it doubles or 24 months. It doesn't matter how bad Moore's law is, even if it's not perfect, Mm -hmm. it's still doubling very quickly. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is as long as that continues, science, software, coding, hardware, everything else follows with it. And that's why science is almost doubling in every every two every you know two years three years and even if it's not perfectly on a graph like that there's a J curve happening between all the different technologies out there right now I mean we have supercomputers out there that can do two hundred thousand trillion calculations per second mm-hmm. two hundred thousand trillion calculations per second we took the the number one spot off from China which did thirty three thousand calculations per second. That's how crazy our world is. I can't become. even understand so, that number. That's so big. That's yeah. wild. No, it, it, per second, this is this is something very different. So we're coming to an era when science 
is not going to be like little leaps and bounds as we look on the internet. Every single day I turn on the internet, I just can't even keep touch with it anymore. There is just today I was reading someone said we're now trying to use stem cells to bring back the dead. Mm-hmm. So wow. instead of like the dead person being there, we take the stem cells and all of a sudden we like pump it into them and we hope that brings them back. That's a method I had never even thought of. And yeah. I just heard it today. It's like every single day something new is happening in the science world. And that, that's the nature of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of bringing back the dead, you wrote a really interesting article in Newsweek um, about this exact thing and, and basically through a process of something called quantum archaeology combined with 3D printing. You're talking about the possibility of bringing loved ones back to life. Um, quantum archaeology, I can't even wrap my mind about it. So can you just let us know sure. what that is? Sure. And this is kind of the frontier of the transhumanist movement. It's still a bit sci- sci-fi. I mean, there's no real evidence that we can do this yet. But if you look at the trajectory of the two different fields involved um, in quantum archaeology, it shows within 50 or 100 years we might get there. But basically it says um, the enti- if you believe in a deterministic universe, if you de- believe that you know cause and effect happens – and you know I know some people don't and some other physicists don't, but it, it's, we're not sure about it yet – the point, though, is that you can reverse engineer the entire portion of the universe, or at least portions of it. And if you can reverse engineer, you can go back in time to figure out exactly the subatomic elements that created any human being or any, in fact, a house or any uh, plant or anything, really. And once you get there, because 3D bioprinting has so quickly evolved – to a point where we're already printing out cells, we're already printing out tissue of livers and hearts and things like that, we would be able to 3D print back an entire human being. And so some experts think within 50 or 100 years, this could be possible based upon the fact that we already have computers doing 200 trillion calculations per second. So it's just a matter of unwinding, reverse engineering certain parts of our galaxy to say exactly what happened to this human being? How did it get constituted and how did it evolve? And then you go backwards and press the print button and 3D print out that exact flesh. When you talk and about reverse engineering time, is that, is that not it, time travel? It, it, it's not. It's, it's different than time travel because we're not – well, I mean in, in many ways it's very similar. But what we're actually trying to do is just constitute the exact subatomic elements, the quarks and things like that. And to such a precise point when you could and, – and again, they're doing this in you – know, when, when you 3D print out a cell, when you 3D print out tissues of liver, you're already essentially constituting some of these things to begin with. All you need to know is this exact formula of what somebody was 70 or 80 years ago based on going back on what you – know, if it's a chessboard, you can undo the chessboard. If it's an invention, you can undo how that invention was put together. Okay. And, of course, the in, the universe, for those of us that believe it's deterministic, thinks that we can reverse engineer it once we have... You're just moving, uh, you're just moving all the little pieces back to where they originally sophisticated were. Sophisticated computers. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's phenomenal. Yeah, and say that, you know, you can, some people would say that every single living human being, their DNA, their molecular configurations, their subatomic configurations can be kept on a hard drive approximately the size of a small city in, in scope or maybe nine miles wide. Um, and of course, that's where the, the you know the technology, the mem- memory bank technology is right now. Right now, yeah. Um, you yeah. Know, again, we're not talking about 
undo, you know, reverse engineering the entire universe. We're talking about reverse engineering just portions of it. Once we get supercomputers that literally are the size potentially at some point in 100 years, I don't know, the size of small countries. And, you know, we're, we're moving that way right now. We, you know, there will be probably in 10, 15 years skyscrapers that are essentially full of servers. There are already server farms all over China. I mean, these things are punching the numbers. And again, once you get enough of them punching trillions and trillions of calculations per second, all of a sudden you start getting into the ballpark where you might be able to start saying, okay, let us reverse engineer, um, you know, a fly that from a day ago. And again, once you can start doing that, it's just like everything else. Okay, now let's let's try to do a worm. Let's try to do a cat from 10 years ago. And, you know, whether this works or not, that's up in the air. I'm not going to say that this does, but that's what the article is about. And a lot of transhumanists believe that it's their obligation, their duty to try to bring back every living person who has ever died. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. I want to believe. I'll tell you that. I want to believe. It, and it's a wild, you know, what's really wild about it is that it's so quasi-religious in nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're ta- this is this is, we're talking about the resurrection in many ways through Jesus's perspective. And yet transhumanists who are atheists are trying to put forth the technology to do this. And so, you know, the, the quantum archaeology is so bizarre because 85% of the planet actually believes in some sort of at least believes that Jesus would have this possible, or, you know, uh, what if it's not Jesus, it's Muhammad, or it's Krishna, would have that possibility to do something just like this, and yet transhumanists and scientists are actually working right. on how can we actually do this on a, on a real material level? How right, the difference, is, the, the difference is people grew up with, with that kind of knowledge being handed down to them and given to them, and this is the way it is, and, and, and what we're hearing now, this is, this is all, you know, it's sci-fi, it's new. So, but if you can make that connection, it mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. And oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's a question. Bro. Oh, OK. I'm sorry. No. And one thing I'd have and I'm trying to look ahead to let's let's say it's the year 2050. And what does a world in 2050 look like, given the fact that people are living to be hundreds of years old and so on and so forth? I mean, are people like, hey, you better go see grandma. And they're like, no, why? Why would I see grandma? She's going to be around. How does that work socially in in your mind? <laughs> Well, let me just start by just saying for, for your listeners that by 2050, unless the government puts a stop on it, and I'm sure they will, your smartphone is far smarter than you on mm-hmm. every single level that's out there. Mm-hmm. So that's really important to understand. I'm not saying that that's how the future is going to unfold because there will probably be a bunch of regulations and things like that. But the reality of the story is by 2050, there are billions and billions of devices that would have AI capabilities that are just simply far superior to us in philosophical reasoning and any kind of reasoning it's out probably there. 10 years away. Mm. Yes, probably 10, if not 15 for sure. But the point is, once we get to that age, we're not just reliant on you know us doing podcasts. We now have AIs doing maybe podcasts mm. and accelerating their intelligence every year, doubling it. Again, going back to what I said before, the human brain has increased in capacity about twice over, you know, over the last half million years, whereas technology is, is like every 24 months. So we may see this incredible J curve from some type of 
enhanced intelligence. And hopefully humans will learn to plug themselves in because there's multiple California companies, one by Brian Johnson called Kernel, another by Elon Musk called Neuralink, that are working on trying to connect the human brain to machine interf- to machines so that we can interface directly with it. So when you go to trade a stock or when you go to Google Maps, you think it. You do not have to necessarily enter anything into a phone. And Registering our brain waves and taking into algorithms and things like that is something that's already been done. The question is, how can we get that to a commercial level where you and I can do this podcast just by thinking about it, not with right. wires and computers mm. and things like that? But so that so, time is coming. So Zoltan, <laughs> what happens? What happens? People are concerned about privacy just with the cell phone. What happens to privacy when we're doing that? When we're um, communicating? Just by thinking things, is it completely out the window? Is is privacy a thing of the past? Privacy is something of the past, and privacy is something that we should be willing to give up so long as the government is also willing to give it up. But that, that's just the political stance. But I think more generally, um, a lack of privacy often means a lot more freedom. Because when you know you're being watched by everyone, you may as well just do what you want to do as long as it's not illegal because all of a sudden it doesn't make a difference anymore. Privacy is actually a, a kind of a strange bourgeois concept that has been limiting us and making us build walls around each other so that we don't others don't really know what we're doing. But as technology sort of has inundated our lives over the last 20, 30, 40 years, we've let down our guard and all of a sudden life has become much more complex. Life has become much more interconnected. I'm not trying to justify social media and saying that. I mean, it comes with its own set of problems. But the reality is that our lives are far less private than they were 30 or 40 years ago. And most people would say, well, the world's quite a bit better for it. I couldn't agree more. I'm glad you answered that way. Um, We fear fear the loss of privacy, but... When it's gone, we're really just all more interconnected with one another and more honest with who we are. I think that makes for a better world. Um, Of course, and and the great thing about a totally non-private world is that it's very hard to be judgmental when you can see everyone doing everything. And the reason is, is because it just doesn't work. Privacy is what makes racism exists. Privacy is what makes you be able to get angry at the different social movements out there, whether it's transhumanism or the LGBT movement or whatever it is. When you t- when you strip privacy away, everybody is left just saying, wow, we better just get along with one another if we want to live in peace. Otherwise, it's, it's just sort of war all the time. And that's sort of what, unfortunately, uh, this great wall, that's what walls have done. Yep. But you start stripping away privacy and all of a sudden, we start becoming much more comfortable with one. I mean, it's sort of what the Arab Springs were about. All of a sudden, everyone got on the internet and said, my God, these people are voting for politicians, not having dictators. And the more you learn, the more you tend to say, wow, this is what the new world is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I didn't think of that, but you make a good point. Things like you know racism and stuff like that, you, you do get that because the walls are up and essentially if the stuff you don't know, you fear the most. And if you don't fear it, then it's reason to believe that maybe you have a better chance of appreciating it and embracing it. So I did not think of that before you said it, but no, that's a good point. Well, yeah, and it's really interesting. Actually, the 60s is the best example of privacy that's really out there. What happened in the 60s? Well, everyone went through kind of a crazy liberal revolution. And this is not liberal in terms of politics. This is liberal in terms of philosophy, sexuality, understanding one another, love. And it was because there was just this great openness of society. 
But uh, of course, when you start trying to, you know, bring in other people more conservative that put up their walls and say, we need limits, we need boundaries. Well, boundaries is the exact same thing as privacy. Mm -hmm. You strip boundaries and privacy away and all of a sudden it's more like, wow, we can have freedoms again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sold. I think after this, I'm gonna try to get on there, and I'm gonna live as long as I can. And my bucket, <laughs> my my bucket list is gonna be my fuck it list because I'm just gonna be like, fuck it, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be here forever. Excuse the language, but that's what I'm gonna say. Um, <laughs> and one other question, you know, you mentioned LGBTQ community. You're transhumanist. Do you guys have initials? Are you TH or is there something like that? Or you guys, because you guys gotta claim it or do something. Well, you know, right now the big symbol going in the transhumanist community is called H plus, which means humanity plus. Okay, and uh, you know it means humanity plus something extra, mm-hmm. and that that's kind of a historical symbol. I got to say, it is the uh, the definitive symbol. The other symbol, though, that's very important that the transhumanist party carries is the infinity symbol, and that's mainly because of life extension. You know, the the most important goal of transhumanism is really to overcome death. And after that, we're not really sure what we become, if we become cyborgs or robot entities, or we just stay humans and keep upgrading ourselves to genetic editing. We're not sure. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that seems to be really definitive in the community is that first and foremost, we must overcome this fact that we have to die because it sort of makes a lot of it uh, pointless if at the end of all this, you know, uh, kind of struggling and fighting and, you know, everything else, we just have to turn into worm food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people who, who hear about transhumanism and, and are initially put off or scared by it. Uh, one thing I, I like to think of is, you know, all our grandparents have knee replacements, hip replacements. I have an artificial disc in my neck. You have a computer chip in your wrist, from what I understand. Those are kind of just the beginning stages of transhumanism. I mean, that's technology that we're putting into our own bodies right now to extend and improve our lives. So that's just going to keep improving, number one. But number two, things like CRISPR... Um, and what we've done with vegetables by, you know, you take a little of this DNA and a little of that DNA to make the plant stronger. Um, has the transhumanist movement explored gene splicing and that sort of thing rather than, you know, robotics and, and whatnot? It, can it be a combination of all those things? Well, it's certainly a combination. I think, you know, transhumanism is just a word. Essentially, that means moving beyond human beings in Latin. And it, you know, the biohackers are out there. They're putting stuff in their bodies. There's the singularitarians who believe in AI taking over the world. Then there's just um, the cryonicists who just believe in freezing their bodies and hopefully being coming back as human beings at some point. And then there's a lot of the kind of like people in between like myself who say, ah, if I could replace my arm with a robotic arm that was stronger, more functional, and it felt like a real arm because, you know, it's not like it's going to be a robot arm. It is a robot arm, but my wife's not going to know because it it's still going to be warm. It's still going to have little hairs on it. The only difference is going to be able to throw a football a mile long. Mm-hmm. And this is the future where we're coming into. We may still look like humans, but we'll have so much synthetic body parts on us. So transhumanism is all across the board. But the one thing I want to point out If you were in the 1900s, the early 1900s, and you told someone, come listen to this podcast, first of all, they say, what the hell is a podcast? But then they say, wait a sec, you're talking to somebody else who's across the state a few hundred miles through these wires, and it's going through wireless technology? What? This is magic. We're already, to some extent, living in the transhumanist age. Mm -hmm. It's very actually difficult to say, you know, how far along we are, but if we took a hundred years ago, people, they would be like, wow, that, that's some magic. And that's really what if you took people from 15 is. years it, it ago. Magical. If you took fi- people from 15 years ago, they'd be saying that about the technology today. 
you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, if you told people about, you know, even just things like um, uh, genetic editing or things like, uh, you know, AI and some of the stuff that we're seeing today, it, I, I mean, we, we, we've had it in science fiction, but the fact that a lot of this stuff is actually applicable in some way now um, is bizarre. The, the idea of having, you know, talking about hundreds, uh, hundred, 200,000 um, trillion calculations per second in a machine this is this is something that's almost insane if you were to say it to somebody ten years ago, and yet look, we're doing it. Right, right. Um, yeah, it, it's mind blowing. I'm excited about CRISPR technology when I see what they're doing, and you know, you, you, you think about things like organisms already, like the jellyfish. The jellyfish is immortal. There's one one species of jellyfish that is immortal. So that possibility exists. We already know that, right? So we could. <laughs> potentially figure out whatever that is and, and splice that genetics into our own. I mean, there's a, a lot of different possibilities we could go. Absolutely. And let me, you know, today I had an article come out in Quartz, in case your, your readers want to um, take a look at it. And it's really one of my favorite articles I've written in a long time. It talks about the idea that you can take a cotton swab to your cheek, which takes skin cells out, and then take those skin cells and through an IVG process, um, transfer that into stem cells. And then the stem cells can be turned into either an egg or a sperm. Wow. And it only takes one human being now to make babies. Wow. Okay, you still need the uterus. Uh, we're, we're still about 15 years away from the artificial womb, though we're getting closer. But the fact that any woman can now go out there essentially, the, the, okay, the technology has been tested in, in rodents and things like that. It's very controversial. But just like IVF was, and now it's very normal, IGF, um, will be here. Yeah. And, um, what I'm hearing is IGV. I'm sorry. IGV. What I'm hearing is I can replicate myself. Yes. So we're, we're entering a society that could not only be sexless, but where a 75 year old woman, you could go, uh, you know, I'm a man, you could go and meet her at a coffee shop and I, you know, I'm 45, date her and start a brand new family. There will be no age limits anymore in terms of procreation because it doesn't require having healthy eggs or having healthy sperm or even being able-bodied anymore. It just requires taking your skin cells, turning them to stem cells, and then turning those stem cells into whatever uh, either egg or sperm that you need. So we're entering an age where even a 100-year-old woman can have children again. This this is an and this is like literally at our doorstep. You could probably expect to start seeing this in two to three to four years, maybe wow. five to seven years commercially. Do you really believe that? Two to three to four years? Well, the, the problem comes really down to the controversy. I mean, this technology is, there's no question about it. I think the technology is essentially beyond doubt at this point. The question really is, you know, we, we live in, a, again, like I mentioned, our president, our vice president, the nine Supreme Court justices, all 535 members of Congress, everybody is pretending to be religious, at least pretending. Pretending, keyword. We're talking about, you know, not just a different gender or gender list. We're talking about people not even having to get married ever again. Virtual inst institutions completely falling at the wayside because they're not required anymore. That's how far science is taking us. So whether Congress allows some of these things, I mean, Congress will already not allow, for example, cloning. They won't allow you to do different types of stem cell uh, genetic editing technologies. For example, that person in China, everyone called for a moratorium on it. These things exist, but we're saying no to it because we're not religiously or spiritually uh, ready to go cross that road. Speaking but it's, of that, it's all come. Can can relig 
can, religion and science have been butting heads, you know, back to the days of Galileo forever. Can, can they eventually coexist or is one going to have to win out in this war? Well, <laughs> that's the million dollar question. I think they probably cannot coexist in the sense that if you're going to remain fundamentally committed to the Bible, which says you must make your choices based on faith, then you will never be able to really embrace a lot of these things because the Bible says very simply, you're not supposed to do these things with the human body. The human body is a temple of God created as Adam and Eve. Don't mess with it. And transhumanists are like not just messing with it. We're talking about the Star Wars era. We're talking about Planet Tatanui. I mean, we're talking about anything that you want to be. A third arm, you got it. A tail, you got it. Do you want to photosynthesize your body like a plant to get your energy instead of ever eating again? You got it. Here's the editing, genetic editing for it. We're talking about becoming totally different types of species, hybrid species, anything that you want to be. That's what, you know, material nature is is not a human being and a bunch of DNA. Material nature is quarks, quantum, you know, uh, subatomic particles. If we develop the tools to combine them and make them, we can make anything and we can make brains that are far better than the three pounds of meat that we carry on. And as soon as we do so and if there's a market for it, it's going to take off. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be very surprised in 100 years we have something far more like the, cyber, uh, you know, Star Wars or Star Trek era, something like that. Yeah, the whole, yeah, the, the whole story of Adam and Eve was essentially a warning against seeking knowledge. Right, that's what the of apple course. was. So. And the, and the, and the, no, the apples, you know, that's what it does. It can make you into anything that you want to be, right. as godlike as you want to be. And of course, science is allowing us to do that. So if the religious people do not break down, I always say, look, you know, and I was born, raised a Catholic. I'm now pretty much an atheist. But the point of the story is that you need to say, you know, the people that believe in Jesus need to accept that maybe quantum archaeology, maybe genetic editing, maybe AI, maybe these are the technologies that God gave us. I'm that's why, that's why that I feel you. like maybe they can coexist. Maybe the stories can, the, the narrative of those stories can fit in with modern technology. I, th- I think the, the platform has a better chance of existing if you can weave these stories that people already have invested in into the platform of transhumanism. No, I totally agree. And there's a ton of Christian transhumanists, Mormon transhumanists, Buddhist transhumanists. The problem, though, is really that if you use the Bible as the fundamental pillar, then the wording is quite clear. You can't do that. If you say the the bigger, the broader perspective, take the gospel of Jesus, when he gets a little bit metaphysical, you know, we are one with the earth, one with God, these kinds of things then you can start justifying. And then I think Christian yeah. transhumanism could become not just a worldwide movement, but really the savior of our race. Yes. But, you know... The, the church and, has been adapting its its rules and laws for centuries, you know, as as we learn more scientifically, they adapt their rules to fit in. So they can, could continue to adapt and change those rules to fit the narrative. Well, That's to be honest chance. with you, they're going to have to, because yeah. if they don't... This time, it's it, you know, it was one thing when all of a sudden, like... We figured out like, oh, the, the earth is, is not flat. I mean, that was like, oh, a big revelation. But it's a much bigger revelation when you say, hey, buddy, I'm growing a fourth arm. That is a <laughs> totally different thing because now you're challenging the actual sanctity of what it even means to be a human being. I've written an article that says that the transhumanist future doesn't have a pope. But the reality of the story is it can, but the pope is going to have to say that transhumanism is the work of God, that 
a person with a fourth arm or a fifth arm is okay because God gave us this technology to play with. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. I can I challenge you a little bit on 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 something? Because I've read the um, the first law of transhumanism, and it states that you must safeguard your own existence above all things. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. Okay, but so, uh, let me let me make a disqualifier. You know, this is from my novel, The Transhumanist Wager, right. and it's a fictional book. It's not something that I can justify as somebody who's run for the U.S. presidency. Okay. You, okay. Know, you know what I mean? But that said, it's very, very important um, law, and I've written that book specifically for artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when when you okay when we look at human history we we got people like gandhi who sacrificed himself for, to free the indian people we got martin luther king um parents were were parents parents sacrificed themselves every day all of that kind of contributes to the greater good of society so this this one rule how does that advance society valuing it, it seems like a kind of a selfish ideology how does that advance society well i'm not necessarily sure it really does advance society um you know, the three laws of transhumanism are really about advancing one individual to become God. And, um, you know, it, that's not a very pretty philosophy. I didn't write the book to create a pretty philosophy. In fact, everybody almost hates that book, whether it's a bestseller or not. The, the real question is, is what? how far would one individual go to live forever and try to become God? And this individual in the book that writes the three laws would go as far as necessary. And he is a son of a bitch. I can yeah, tell you is. that. He is. Mm-hmm. So to clarify, the, these rules are not part of the transhumanist party's platform. They're more ideologies of the character in the book. Yes. That, yes. Okay. 100% not that's, part that's of the, good to know. Uh, okay. <laughs> the platform. The platform is actually very nice and humanitarian, all these other things. But the transhumanist wager, the novel that I wrote, which yeah. sort of launched my career as a public figure and also sort of changed the movement, is asks everyone a very challenging question. How far would you personally go sure. to live forever? And, you know, in this is a very interesting question because every person has a limit, almost like Apocalypse Now or Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Everyone has a limit on how far their morality goes. Well, this book was written to define the limit of one person who really – you know, he ends up becoming world dictator and starting world wars. He doesn't care. His immortality is the first and foremost concern. Now, that's not my own personality, but it was a book that needed to be written so that people could kind of explore their own inner demons and say, well, how how far would I go to live forever? Yeah. Yeah. I think most people would go further than they think. The book is awesome. I really enjoyed it. It reminded me a lot of 1984, except it's a little confusing about who the bad guy is in this book. Oh, well, that's the whole thing, though. You know, you know who the protagonist is. The problem is you hate the protagonist. And um, that's what I mean. The protagonist is a little bit of a bad guy. But but you, you know, you know, at the same time that he's a very rational, reasonable person. And it challenges people because it asks, you know, this question of, wow, he's being totally rational. He's a total dick. We know he's a dick. But he's being rational. So at what point when it comes down to life and death, especially if you're an atheist, do you end up being a dick in order to, you know, live a lot longer? And, um, you know, I love it because when you look at the, the the reviews on Amazon, you know, hundreds of reviews, they're either all five stars or all one star. Yeah, I know that. Because either, people really either really like it or they desperately hate it. And they write me hate mail and I get death threats still once a week from about the book. But the reality is it's that's, you know, the book is designed to challenge you. It's not designed as 
a philosophy that you need to necessarily embrace. It's designed as a as kind of a, to lead you through this chess game and say, wow, um, maybe I would go this far. I would go 72% of Jethro Knights. Some people say that to me. Oh, I'd go 82% of Jethro Knights. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's the protagonist. But, um, you know, that that's that's as far as they'd go. They can't go the other. Don't you think people that give you death threats is a sign that they really didn't read the book? <laughs> yes, yes. You know what's been very funny about transhumanism is a huge part of the movement has been motivated and mm-hmm. moved to kind of almost an, a mainstream level. Transhumanism has grown tremendously through a lot of the really hardcore right-wing uh, conspiracy theorists, mm-hmm. websites, and people out, personalities out there. I mean, Alex Jones loves to talk about transhumanism and to bash it. He loves to bash it. But when he bashed it to his millions of followers, right. people learned about transhumanism. And so transhumanism has gotten a bit of a bad rap, but at the same time, I mean, half the Google employees are transhumanists out there because, of course, they believe in modifying the human body for the good, for the greater good of humanity and for overcoming uh, diseases and things like that. But it's a very interesting movement. Mm-hmm. Has it grown since you ran for president in 2016? Has the movement picked up steam? Followers? Oh, tremendously. And you know, almost more importantly, and I don't, ha- I hate to sound like a total capitalist, but it has grown in terms of finances. The amount of venture funding going into the life extension movement has dramatically increased the amount of companies involved in things. I mean, even Mark Zuckerberg has now dedicated $3 billion to overcoming all disease by the end of century. I mean, that's wow. transhumanism at its core. Mm-hmm. Um, and the point of the story, though, like or hate, you know, whether these these billionaires out there, you don't have to like them. The reality is, though, is a huge amount of them are signing up and dedicating their hard-earned resources to fighting this idea of dying. Yeah, I mean, they've conquered everything else. Why not try to conquer death and live forever? You, you mentioned earlier that um, it would take about $1 trillion, you estimated. Um, when you look at how much money we spend on war, we spent trillion dollars just just on the Iraq war already. Um, how can we get people engaged to press the government to divert some of those funds? Because this, you know, spending money on stopping death seems like a much more worthwhile cause than murdering people overseas. You know, th- this question makes me so angry because it, it's such a simple thing. Like when I ran for the U.S. presidency in 2016, my platform was really simple. We spend trillions of dollars on the U.S. military. We spend about $6 trillion on the Iraq war. Six and we trillion. just need a little bit of that to make everybody in America in 20 years time or maybe a little bit less to live as long as they want. Basically kill 20% less people and give that money to life extension. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Instead of fighting wars against, you know, (laughs) far off nations, instead of spending our money on bullets and bombs, we're going to spend it eliminating cancer. Let's come up with a vaccine for cancer. We can absolutely do that. Let us take away diabetes. Let's get everybody healthy. Let us come up with every kind of concoction to eliminate any disease that's out there in America. We could do this as a nation, and yet we have been convinced because our very Abrahamic or Judeo-Christian culture that we must die, we must go meet our God in heaven, and living our life is just giving our best here. But really, our best is not dying. Our best is living as long as we can as biological entities for as long as possible and finding a way to really make it so that we don't actually have to ever disintegrate into whatever earth dust or worm or food or whatever it is that we become once we die. And people don't want to listen to that. I don't know why. If, If you let go of fear, it's really a hopeful message. 
Well, it's funny, you know, it just, I hate to say this, but it really does come down often to one's cultural upbringing. If you're more inclined to secularism, you hear this message and you think, yes, this is a very worthwhile goal. I'd like to spend some money. I'd like to spend some time. I'd like to go and take a degree in science and become a scientist to help to this. But if you're of the religious mindset, then you realize, wait a sec, I better die because if I don't die, I'm not going to meet Jesus. I mean, these are... These are, this we're, you know, imagine what America is. We just celebrated Christmas. We got Easter coming up. You, you sneeze and someone says, God bless you. We live in a very religious culture. And that cult- culture has taught us that we must all be deathists. We must all embrace this idea of death. Well, in the 21st century, the idea of dying is going the way of the dinosaurs. And very, very soon, we're all going to come to a point when we're going to wish that we had done this 20 years ago so we didn't have to lose our fathers or we didn't have to lose our brothers and our sisters. Like I said, if we can cure aging and death by the year 2030 versus the year 2050, one billion people on planet Earth will be saved. This is this is a huge amount of, of lives we're talking about. People think it's okay to die. It's, it's not okay, and we do have the tools to overcome death. Mm-hmm. Is Donald Trump, please tell me, now this is serious, is Donald Trump going to live forever? <laughs> ah, I know this is another question that's so funny people go like between, back and forth between Hitler and Donald Trump <laughs> when I do interviews um, sad you know, that they're I, in the same sentence right I mean Hitler yeah Donald. no this is this is uh you know I think uh, I think of course we should uh, offer these technologies to everybody mm-hmm. I think we should water down Trump's a little bit if we could put some like water or some dishwashing fluid or something in there so he doesn't get the full you know but that's well, just it's me funny because I wrote I wrote an article when I was running Back in 2016, when I was running against Trump, um, you know, as a nominee of the Transhumanist Party, uh, he was saying some, at the time, they seemed like pretty crazy things. I mean, we've grown used to it as a nation now, but I had Hmm. suggested that we could use brain implants to actually improve his performance so he could not say certain things when he shouldn't (laughs) say them. It's funny, though, because um, maybe he knew what he was doing, but... um, it seems now we've question. grown kind of accustomed to him saying these kinds of things, not being normal for our president of the United States. But at the time, we thought, oh, you know, he's he's going to absolutely sabotage himself. So I wrote this tongue-in-cheek article saying, oh, maybe brain implants would be the way to improve it. But, um, yeah, so that, that was a fun he, article. He, he may have intended it all along. He may have been smarter than all of us. <laughs> he, he may have. And, and uh, I know that that scares us all to death and, uh, and it probably should. But, you know, I, I'm willing to admit he may be smarter than us. Mm-hmm. Um, going along with, with the politics, your, your campaign for president, for, for governor, I, I read recently you, you left the Libertarian Party. Um, some people were hoping you would run as their candidate because they don't really have a strong one. What, what, give us like three of your basic uh, political positions, three of your strongest positions. Sure. Well, well, the very first one, as we talked about earlier, is to reduce the um, amount of money that we fund to the U.S. military and put that money directly into science and technology. I believe instead of a military industrialized complex, we can have a scientific or a science industrial complex. Perfect. So that's a simple one. Um, a second one is to decriminalize all drugs. I'm a, a very strong advocate of you know ending the drug war entirely. It's just been a complete disaster. And simply making all things legal and spending any excess money that we have on rehabilitation. And that I'd fixes say, so know, many problems. Yeah, I'd say for a, a third one 
is, um, and this is a bit strange because I do come, you know, as a sort of a, not, not a, 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 I guess I'm physically conservative and very socially liberal, but um, I believe in a universal basic income. I think um, automation and robots will absolutely take all jobs here in the next 10 to 20 years. It's laughable to me that people don't think that they're going to take jobs. It's just laughable to me. Well, it's already um, happening. Yeah, it's totally already happening. Um, Trump likes to blame, blame immigration, but really the reality is this is all technology yeah. already. Mm-hmm. Um, and I so I believe in a universal basic income. I have a unique one. The unique uh, portion of my universal basic income tries to um, lease out federal land. United States owns about, uh, you know, uh, essentially uh, $200 trillion worth of federal land at this point. And should we lease that out to whoever it is? We could pay a pretty decent universal basic income on the realm of maybe $1,700 a month to every United States citizen. That would be enough to at least put food on the table, get health insurance, and to um, have a roof over our head. Universal, so those are my three main policies. Yeah, I, don't, I think they're great policies. Universal basic um, income right now is a pretty controversial one, but it's almost an inevitability. I mean, 20 years from now, we'll be interested in the fact that we are ever even arguing about this because it'll, it'll be here whether people want it or not. Well, yeah, you know, people people think um, you know, world's going to continue. Capitalism is just going to go on, and they don't realize that um, automation could easily end capitalism, and that uh, the money could end up in the hands of just a few very rich people at the very top, with nobody else to have any jobs because those rich people chose to have only robots, either you know, doing welding, serving in restaurants, driving cars, whatever it is. Anyone's job can be replaced, even my wife. Who's a who's a surgeon? Because capitalism in itself just simply can't stave off that widespread automation. I mean, this is a this is a fundamental shift in how we look at the economic uh, outlook of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question about um, AI. This is kind of like a, a sci-fi question, but really everything we've talked about is sci-fi. Uh, sometimes when I smoke a little marijuana, I lay awake in bed, unable to sleep, with thoughts of uh, of stuff like, "What about AI?" when it eventually becomes self-aware. Um, aren't we going to go through all kinds of uh, civil rights arguments dealing with AI? Aren't they eventually going to want equal rights to the rest of us? Uh, you know, I, I think so. If, if we let them go undis- un, you know, unperturbed, I guess they, they will. But the reality is that probably governments and companies will stand up and not allow a full AI to develop that would require rights. And the reason is, how do you stop that? I mean, how how do you stop that from happening? Well, I I mean, the U.S. You know, I do some consulting with the U.S. military. They they will they will literally go and take over companies and say, if you work on that machine anymore and develop this, we will stop. And the reason is, it's a national security issue. It's a global security issue. Uh, AI could very quickly become smarter than human beings and decide that it wants to turn off all traffic lights just as a joke. Um, You know, this is we could cause mass havoc in the world without even real natural disaster, just because an AI chooses to have a 24 hour period of jokes, yeah. you know, let alone really like Terminator style going after us. So I, I think the, the worry is too great to allow an AI to develop that's smarter than us without us being able to directly merge with it. Now, I think once we have the technology to merge with AI, then we might develop AI that's, that's very, very, you know, radically, uh, complex. Well, I read an article, and I don't know how true this is, that some of the a couple of the computers at Facebook, I believe, or maybe Google, began talking to each other in a language that we didn't even recognize. So when I say, how do we even stop it? it 
was that first of all was that true because that's something that keeps me up at night and if so if that is true how can we stop that it sounds like they already were becoming aware I don't think they're becoming aware. I think that specific instance was when a bunch of programmers just asked them to do that. What was un, I guess, un, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen is this new language would become something different. But I think, you know, taking that to saying that they're becoming conscious or aware is too way too large of a step. I still think they're, you know, five, 10 years away. But I have argued, I've written an article for Vice saying that, you know, it's quite possible the Internet could become self-aware. I mean, human beings became self-aware through evolution. No one turned on a light switch for us and all of a sudden we became self-aware. I mean, we evolved and then one day we were here, you know, and AI could very easily do the same thing just through the Internet, through the, the billions of servers that it's coasting around right now. And somehow through some weird freak accident that could happen. Right. And, um, you know, I mean. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but these are things that keep, you know, <laughs> uh, military commanders literally up at night as they worry that whether they're going to be able to control it and whether they're going to be able to, you know, um, get to it first. Let, let's say Russia or North Korea. I mean, these are very serious global right. political issues. Yeah, at the moment. scary. Speaking of evolution, I mean, isn't transhumanism, isn't it really just part of evolution? Yes. No, of course. Transhumanism is 100 percent part of evolution. It's just the next phase. And in fact, it's funny because the AI age, everyone seems to think, oh, one day we're going to merge into AI. What they fail to understand is that AI will probably evolve out of itself within five years, maybe five years time. OK, the, the human humanity lasted, let's say, 200,000 years. Transhumanity will probably last like 20 or 30 years. But the AI age will probably just last a few years. And then after that, we could become quantum intelligence that spans the cosmos or something like that. I don't know what we could become. But it's, it's funny because when we look at the ages of intelligence, they constantly get smaller. I mean, that's really what the singularity is all about, this idea that technology starts increasing so quickly that our human brains can't even fathom the amount of complexity that can happen. As um, you know, people have said before, what happens in the next five seconds will be more important for all of human history than what's happened in the, all the past beyond, including the five billion years. Wow. And that's how fast. Yeah, As technology can evolve. Well, I, I also heard something interesting, like the, the amount of data that we we store in the past two years is more than all the data stored in all of human history, and that that doubles every year. Yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, it, again, everything is based on the history and the the patterns, the trajectory of the microprocessor, and as long as that keeps doubling in capacity and speed, I mean, you can expect science to do the exact same thing. It basically falls right in its shadow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have have any questions, B? Man, my mind is blown. We appreciate you coming to join us, definitely uh, giving our listeners something they definitely don't hear every day. And so um, we definitely want to be able to look you up in the future if we want to, if we're, because we'll all still be alive, right? In the future, right? Yeah. I so. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to be able to look you up in the future uh, for, for a return visit. Yeah, absolutely. Is mm-hmm. there uh, is first of all, you, I want you to tell the people about your documentary so that we can encourage them to watch it. Um, also, is there any chance of you putting together another campaign? Is that is that in your future? You know, I, I'm I'm not really openly <clears throat> I'm speculating too much on 2020. I am considering mm-hmm. a presidential run, all right. but I just don't know how or why or what with who it's uh, it's a lot of work um 
The documentary is called Immortality or Bus and chronicles the 2016 campaign I did, largely based on this uh, coffin bus that I drove across the nation to deliver <laughs> yes. a transhumanist bill of rights. Mm-hmm. And if you, anyone, your listeners want to learn more, just go to immortalitybus.com or uh, you know just just Google coffin bus and you should come up uh, in Zoltan and you should come up with a lot of the stories. We were we were honored to have. Um, People, journalists embedded from the New York Times mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, everyone else embedded with us on the bus as we took this kind of fun, little bit of wacky uh, tour across the country. Yeah. And long story short, you, during your campaign, you used the coffin bus, uh, you know, bus like shaped like a coffin, I'm guessing, right? Uh, yes, drive, a, yeah, a 40 foot co- <laughs> bus that's shaped just like a coffin, painted yeah. like a coffin. I mean, we really we manipulated it to look. So when you looked at it, you said, oh, wow, that's a that's a 40 foot coffin. And of course, that was our way to generate attention to life extension, mm-hmm. because if you're driving in traffic on the Golden Gate Bridge and you got 5000 people on it or whatever, everyone's looking at the bus. Yeah. Um, one final question. I don't know what your, your time's looking like, but man, I, I could keep you on all night. You, you, you fascinate me. Um, Cryptocurrency. I, w- I was on board early with cryptocurrency, um, so I like to talk about it with anyone that knows anything about it and, and, and push the idea of it. How does that fit into your platform, if at all? Well, you know, during the presidential campaign, I was, I think, one of the first candidates to take uh, Bitcoin. Um, uh, well, I, I didn't take it for my, for my campaign because actually I didn't take funds whatsoever for my presidential candidacy. I'm not a big fan of taking oh, wow. money. In candidacy, but we took it for the party. We were one of the very first party. I think probably the first political party to take Bitcoin. And um, you know, I'm a big fan in any kind of decentralized system, especially a currency that can make it harder for governments to uh, to control you. Um, but that said, you know, um, we went through a bit of a bubble and a bit of an explosion, and we have to see how far cryptocurrency goes in the in the next phase of you know the next five years. But you know, there's no question that blockchain is a lasting technology that will have implications um, for the next century and beyond. That yeah, that excites me. Um, ultimately, doesn't transhumanism, uh, when when these goals are reached, doesn't it ultimately crumble along with things like cryptocurrency and the internet? Doesn't it crumble governments and countries? Does isn't that when we truly become like one population on Earth? Well, uh, you know, I, I have said it again and again that I would be wouldn't be surprised if America and China and other places don't survive the next fifty years because there may not be such a need for formal countries. That that's kind of like the pre you know the the pre age the pre transhumanism age when you know before all this globalization. I think in the future we might just have, and that's why I support open borders. I always have is um, I just think anyone should be able to go wherever they want to do. Um, and, you know, I don't have a very big social network or so, you know, I wouldn't be handing out food stamps and a lot of those things. I'm not the when it comes to a lot of that stuff, I think people just need to earn their keep. But I don't want to say where people can go and where people can't go. I just simply think if, you know, if you want to live in a better place and this is coming from a journalist who's been, a, you know, uh, for National Geographic work sure. to war zones. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think if people want to leave war zones and come to America, they should be able to do so. But you can't get free handouts. You got to work and make your keep. And that's the way the world is. And I think it's just one world. Everyone does as they want to do. As long as you uh, you don't do bad things, you know. Here you are on planet Earth. Welcome. See what the yeah. most you can make of it. Well, well, now you do sound like a libertarian. So why why did you leave the party? Uh, long question, but uh, I'll just say uh, uh, honestly, I wasn't that liked, and that's oh, hard for me like to you. say. 
Um, but I wasn't liked enough, I think, to have a future in that party. Okay. And um, because a lot of the libertarians, believe it or not, are deep down Christians. And while they may merge their liberty sensing, you know, love with their kind of Christian perspectives, you get someone like me merging my liberty love with transhumanism it doesn't go together well. And ultimately, I think a lot of people just thought, wow, this guy is he's not a nice guy. He's, yeah. You know, he's he's after science and technology and not and not the other values. And I think a lot of libertarians deep down inside are actually Christians first and foremost. So that made it very impossible for me. So the, the bottom line is if I'm going to go to a party and I'm going to be hated. I may as well be hated at one of the, in the big leagues. Sure. And uh, it kind of comes down, down just down to that. I, I like a lot of libertarian philosophies and I'm not planning on changing those. But um, the party itself was a lot more broad than that. It was, it had a lot of um, people in it that were, you know, saying they're freedom minded, but they're not really freedom minded in terms of, you know, becoming a different kind of entity. Right. I, un- I understand what you're saying about religion um, and how it, it can put some people off. And like I said, I, I grew up very religious. My family's very religious, but I really think many, if not most or all of your ideas can coincide with religion if, if the message is just put across in a different way that doesn't threaten their absolute core belief, um, you know, like the afterlife. Like maybe, maybe, maybe God's a transhumanist, you know what I mean? Maybe he, maybe he has, is the one person who has figured out how not to die, right? There's, there's yeah, ways the, the, you can incorporate these ideas into faith, not into – it's not going to fit into the Bible and all those stories. But if people are willing to be pliable with that, it can jive. Well, and, and that's really it. Are people pliable or not? Because if I have a chance, I almost always take the more neutral or gentler way and say, you know what? Maybe God was a transhumanist. Why not look at it like that? But the reality is um, it's very hard for people to become pliable because religion in itself – is not dest- was not designed to be pliable. It was designed to be a method of control. And the control has to have absolutes. And that means, you know, uh, white or black. You know, there's very little gray area. Whereas transhumanism is this very, very gray movement. We're just like hoping that we can overcome death with whatever science and technology comes our way, make the world better. And, you know, I have no idea if I'm going to be a fish in the future or if I'm going to become a robot in the future or if I'm going to become something else. Like, I, I'm totally open-ended about it. And um, But most religious people are very firm in what they're going to be and where they're going to end up and how they're going to act. And unfortunately, libertarians, too, they're so fundamental. Even if it's fundamentalism with liberty, the reality is, you know, even transhumanism is more, much more free in my mind than most libertarians. I mean, we really don't know what we're going to end up as. But one thing's for sure, we just don't want to die and end up as, you know, terminal human beings. Right. I mean, most people are stubborn, is what I'm getting from that. Um, the good news for transhumanism is, is religion is really declining in this country. I'm not saying that's a good thing for the country, but that's a good thing for your movement, right? Atheism is on the rise. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. You've been super generous with your time. We don't want to keep you much longer. I know you said you're putting the kitties to bed. Man, I think, like I said, mind-blowing. I definitely want to have you back. We do appreciate it. Um, Stuff I've never thought about before. So thank you. Thank you for joining us. Well, you guys, thanks so much for having me. It's been a great time. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. I hope you run again. (laughs) Thanks, man. All All right. right. Take care. Good night. All right. Bye-bye, you guys. We'll be back with more on The Dad Presents after these words. Yo, B. What's happening? You notice how 
chill and sexy I'm looking right now? Uh, no comment on that. Well, you, you notice. Don't pretend you didn't notice. Mm, quite the opposite, <laughs> but what are you getting at? You want to know why I'm looking so chill and please, so sexy right now? Please stop talking and just tell me <laughs> what, what you're It's me undies. I'm feeling good. I'm wearing me undies. I feel good. And when you feel good, you look good. Are we really talking about your underwear right now? I'm talking about my underwear. I don't want to talk about your underwear. Me undies are the best underwear you can get out there. And our listeners, we got a code for you. If you want some me undies, if you want to feel fresh, if you want to look good, Go to MeUndies.com, use the code word buy 20 for 20% off. That's a bargain at any price. So you, you said these are the best underwear you can get? Look at me right now. I don't want to. Look at me. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Go to MeUndies, <laughs> do what he said with the code, get them. They're great underwear. That's all I'm going to say about it. My nuts are so tight. I, I, you took it too far. <laughs> I kind of talked about this a couple shows ago. R. Kelly, uh, you know, the the show surviving R. Kelly makes its debut on Lifetime and shakes up the world. Oh, man. Shakes up the world. Damn. It's talking about people charging R. Kelly with new crimes and shit, and he's having birthday parties, and women are still yelling at him saying, take me hostage, R. Kelly, because there's women hostage throughout R. Kelly, survive R. Kelly. That's still happening now? That is the most amazing thing about the show. You got to watch it, Jay Maddie. You well, can't. It's like it's like when uh, you know people go to prison for murder and then they sure. they get girlfriends in there. That's you know what I mean. What you so, have. Some people are just twisted. Yeah, but you got it. What did he say? To me, my mind is telling me yes. Well, actually, it's but no. my body is telling me no. Oh, I don't know. I think you mixed it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that was your first attempt at singing there. Don't I don't know, dude. I don't know. But no, the thing that's sad about it, and Maddie, you got to broaden your horizons and watch some black te- television every oh, once in a while. I'll, I'll watch some black television. You I'll watch, watch some it. gay television. I'm, I'm down You got to watch Surviving R. Kelly because. It's not that interested. The cold, there's so many cold blooded things about it, but the most cold blooded thing on there is that the girl that he's allegedly, and I'm going to stop saying allegedly pretty soon, but the girl that he allegedly peed on, all right, some years ago, is still with him to this day. What? Oh, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, wait, you didn't see it? Did you no, see it? No, I, I, okay. I saw it. I saw it all, but I didn't think she was still there. She's still. That's why they're not mentioning her name. Exactly. Right? Because she was a minor when it occurred. They don't show the picture oh, of her because she was a minor God. when it happened. But she's still with him today. Along it's a with, sick situation. It's awful. And there's other women that it's he has sad. taken hostages, apparently. And I mean, some of these women went a free will, and you, you're trying to you know, walk the line between him manipulating them and them having free will and going on their own. But he definitely has a situation there that is um, uh, peculiar and bizarre. And, you know, immediately after the show, they were talking about looking at new new charges, new investigations regarding R. Kelly and his harem of women who may or may not be there, uh, you know, against their will. So um, definitely a must watch. They ran the six episodes pretty much back to back. So obviously in this day and age, you have DVR and pay-per-view and whatever you got on demand, whatever you want to call it. Worth a look, and it's sick stuff, folks. But you got to watch it. You know, be one of those people. Um, also, Game of Thrones is coming. I know you got neither one of you guys watch Game of Thrones. No. Okay, but this will take the Game of Good Thrones. Luck talking crap. about that one. <laughs> Game of Thrones is coming back. April Final 14th. season, right? Final season, six episodes. Season number eight, April fourteenth. I get. I look forward to being able to call people, white people walking in my neighborhood, White Walkers. That's what I live for. So. Coming April 14th, I'm going to start saying that April 14th. But you have your Lannisters, you have your White Walkers, you have the King of the North, you have all this stuff coming. 
get excited for uh, Game of Thrones. And, very excited. Um, very, you don't sound very excited about it. Um, also, there's a story about this. I don't know if you saw this. This was around Christmas time and or New Year's time. And, um, you know, a lot of the stuff we're catching up on. This Did you guys see this transgender man who got mad? in the store that <laughs> someone was calling him sir and he very much still looks like a man wait 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 wait, wait. Tran- he's a transgendered man i'm sorry transgender woman okay i my god we've been talking right. about this stuff for 6 months and you still can't I still get the can't term. get it right i'm sorry my lgbtq people i'm sorry but he's a trans woman who is upset he goes into a uh, gamestop and he's trying to get service and this guy calls him sir and he goes off and the funny thing about it, and I'm is there sorry, video? There's there's audio. audio. There is audio. Do you I'm have a clip? I'm gonna play it. I got to set it up. Set it up. So <laughs> he very much sounds like a man in this clip. So um, I'll go ahead and click it and play it, and then you guys can tell me what you think. Here we go. <laughs> Excuse me, it's ma'am. It is ma'am. You need to settle down and mind your business, okay? Ma'am, once again, ma'am. I said both of you. No, you said sir. Once again, it's ma'am. I actually said both of you guys. Right beforehand, you said sir. (laughs) Take it outside. If you want to call me sir again, I will show you sir. I apologize. I apologize. I need your corporate numbers. (laughs) Because we're going to talk, call them and talk about how it's misgendered several times in this store. I need your corporate number now. Get it for me now. Give me your corporate number. No, I'm going to ask you for the fifth time to stop calling me a man. Because quite clearly I am not. And I apologize. I'm sorry for that, man. I'll get that number. Yes, get it for me now. Get it for me now. I'm not cussing. I'm not cussing. I'm not cussing. Yeah, so I think that's the entire. Oh, there he is. Sorry. Yeah, that's enough. Look, I don't care if you're a he, a she, what, what pronoun they, them. You're you're an asshole if you act like that. That guy was that. I'm sorry. That ma'am was yeah. being an asshole. No, there's th- no excuse for that kind of behavior. That's what's wrong with society. It's not that we we can't get our pronouns correct. It's that people are assholes to each other. <laughs> and the sound you heard, that crash that you heard toward the end, is him kicking something <laughs> as he's walking through. So he's kicking things. He's grunting. He's cursing. He's threatening to take people outside and fight. And he's acting very much. Excuse me. Uh, you know, people of both sexes. He's acting very much like a sir. And so he's mad that, of course, people are calling him a sir. And he is wearing a wig and is dressed in women's clothing. But he appears to be, to the average eye, very much still a man. So- Absolutely. And in, in his defense, we don't know what happened right before that. Mm-hmm. All we heard was the audio. But you you can't... First of all, he's not helping the cause any yeah. by acting like that. Sure. Secondly, I mean, this kind of behavior... Should not be tolerated. That guy should be in jail for that fit he threw. He wanted he wanted the cops called because mm-hmm. he felt like there was an injustice against him. But he was the one being an asshole. Now talking about transgenders, 
we don't know all the science. We don't know if it's possible to be born with the brain of a woman and the body of a man. Sure. There's no, the science is not yet determined on that. But what we do know is that scientifically, there are people who are mentally troubled. That woman, man, is mentally troubled. Yeah. No, yeah. no doubt about it. No, if you're solid up in the head, you don't act like that. No, it's it it's it's fun. It, you can't help but laugh at it because it's it's just so has so many ironies in it, but not the best way to get your point across. If that's what you're trying to express as yourself as a trans man or a trans woman, depending the situation. Yeah, and there, there's plenty of good examples of of trans people behaving how they want to be seen sure. out there in society the unfortunate thing is with any of these kind of things it's the crazy shit out there that gets the headlines and gets the attention on social media and gotcha. now this that you know everybody's going to make an example of this guy and you know that's unfortunate mm-hmm. um i think you'll like this um have you heard of broga no i have not heard of broga okay broga is male yoga it's a new thing that's been basically marketed for the man that has to do with you know men connecting with each other and getting doing yoga, building of course your core muscles and also other things that make you strong. How's it whatever. different than just uh, guys doing regular yoga? Is well, it a different kind of yoga? It's supposedly a different kind of yoga. It's um, and I'm trying to find the thing here. It's okay. It's a strong. It's strong, energetic, and challenging. It combines. Oh, I lost my place here. Hold on, just that fast. Okay, yeah. It combines the best core strengthening, multi-muscle toning, and other stuff, as I'm... <laughs> I lost my place. Um, but they're offering it to men. They're making it about men, and men only. Men only, okay. Yeah. And so it's basically normal yoga, but for men only. Yeah, it's okay if it you can't... It won't last. Well, they're saying it's okay if you can't touch your toes, so I guess that may be a problem for some guys, you know, with dad bods, you know, with little guts and stuff. But you have clarity-enhancing yoga... That is specially geared for males and, and functional fitness, an amazing workout. You get pumped up feeling that you get from deep flexibility and relax. Sounds a lot like yoga. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's being marketed. It sounds, like, to men. it sounds like guys wanting to claim something for themselves, which I, I kind of applaud that. Mm-hmm. But you know, if they took the if they took the Boy Scouts away, they're gonna take Broga away. I'm root, I'm rooting for Broga. Yeah. Go check out and get in one of those classes. Hey, maybe. yo, I'm I'm all in on yoga. Um, yoga's yoga's a terrific thing for. I think all men should do it. It's helps with all the aches and pains. It gets sure. you stronger. For a guy like me who's got uh, artificial discs and twenty four plates in my neck, it's mm. it's uh, it's the one thing that really helps me. Gotcha. I'm all in on broga. I'll give it a try. All right, we will look into. It. Maybe we'll sign up for classes together. Or is that gay? do it. It's only gay if you try to fuck me. Okay, definitely not gay. No. All right, um, smart ass of the week. This is a new little segment I put together. And this is a headline that I think you'll appreciate. A man is arrested, of course, in Florida, because that's the <laughs> that's where all of this shit happens. Um, he tells his neighbors that he's going to kill them with kindness. And then he, he appears at their home with a machete that he named Kindness and yeah. stabs one of them. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> now, minor injury. That's why I could laugh. I think he cut the guy, a guy on his hand or whatever. But... My question here is, because he's clever, does he get less prison time for that? I mean, because that's, that's getting creative, I think. 
It is definitely creative. <laughs> I don't I don't think it gets him out of any prison time, but that's very creative, especially for a Florida man. Yeah. So in Florida man, if you watch ATL is real, apparently, because that's how every headline starts with people from Florida. Yeah. Um going to Ohio, where now okay, we go from smart ass of the week to dad of the week because you know, this is the dad presents and a parenting show occasionally. Mm-hmm. This is the dad of the week. And this happened during the holidays, but we were saving it. An Ohio dad, this is what he did. He booked himself on six different flights so he could be with his daughter on Christmas. His daughter's a flight attendant. Yeah, I heard this story. That's yeah. beautiful. No, I think it's a good story. It's a good sort of feel good. And I thought we'd, you know, sort of wrap it up and feel good it's, about that. It's a beautiful story. It's wonderful. Though I wonder the daughter, like, like I, lo- I love my parents. My parents are awesome. But mm-hmm. if I was, on uh, you're at work she's at work mm-hmm. if my dad decided to come and hang out with me for 16 hours of work yeah though i would appreciate the gesture I'd probably be a little annoyed so yeah. I, I wonder how she actually not what she said about it but i wonder <laughs> how she actually felt about it yeah but hats off to him for yeah. trying and getting out nice there. job dad I, I i salute you mr ohio dad um well doggy was here for a little bit and then he left oh wait he's back so do you want to say, I think, you know, because we taped this show in reverse sort of this time. Doggy, do you want to uh, say goodbye to the people? Yeah. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, dog, everyone. Hey. Making a reappearance. Goodbye, everybody. This is dog. <laughs> you know, I'm faded. I'm trying to make shit happen tonight. There it is. I'm sorry uh, <clears throat> that I'm not interacting like I usually would be. I'm faded tonight. Like, and, you guys... You guys are getting the real dog tonight. Not much different from the previous. I love dog. everybody, and um, that's about it, Jay Manny. Right? That's about it. That's, that's beautiful. It. Other than that, yeah. all right. Everybody loves dog. Everybody loves dog. Remember that. All right. All right. Well, Jay you have any parting words of advice? No, there's a lot going on in government I want to talk about, but I think we can save that till the next podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm again. I want to give a shout out to my good friend Paul Lemire, musician. He helped facilitate the um, podcast with Zoltan. So shout out to Paul Lemire. Uh, if you guys love the singer-songwriter kind of stuff, uh, check him out on SoundCloud. He's mm-hmm. the best. Awesome. And speaking of our next show, next guest, and I, I we, we teased it a couple weeks ago and our schedules got screwed up. Aisha Deal will be co-hosting with us, our first female co-host. We're going to let her kind of sit in here with us and tell us what we're doing wrong. She holds or she hosts, excuse me, the podcast uh, Shit Women Think About, and it's going to be interesting. So tune in there. We'll be back next week. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your kids. Take care of your families. Send your parenting questions. Damn, Facebook. that was quick. Yeah, I know. It was a quick one. Facebook.com slash the dad presents. <laughs> All right. And thank you. We'll check you guys out next week. Love you. <laughs>